Well, I'm looking forward to opening God's Word with you guys as we continue our, our time of worship and just thanking God for all He's done. As I mentioned last week, we're doing like a mini-series in the book of Psalms, something we're going to touch on every so often. And, and we've titled it Selah, which is God's, we're calling it God's playlist for the rhythms of life. And the book of Psalms is a, is a playlist, if you will, a bunch of songs that have been compiled for worship. Um, I, I like certain playlists in particular. I'm the kind of person who likes certain music for certain scenarios. Like, I've got a running playlist. I like to go out for runs, and I'm not going to listen to classical music while I'm running. You're going to hear in my earbuds hip-hop. Hear some social clubs, some KB, Lecrae, Andy Minio, those kind of guys. Uh, and and it's, it's certain songs that get me hyped, you know, while I'm running. I want to make sure that, that I got blood flowing, I'm, I'm ready to go. You, you have your workout playlist, don't you? Yep, yeah. How many of you guys got 90s house music? Just don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. All right, that's right. So you, you've got your playlist for the music. And we've got our car playlist, which is Disney music. And I'm sick of Disney music. The Lion King and, you know, all these Akuna Matatas. And, you know, so, so that's our car playlist to, to help the kids out. Um, and I got a, like a study playlist when I'm, when I'm reading or when I'm at Starbucks trying to get some work done. Get some, some Kevin Olusula. You, you guys know KO? He's a cellist who does beatboxing while playing the cello. The guy's amazing. He's an amazing artist. Uh, I, I love listening to different kind of uh, instrumental music while I'm studying. It helps me focus, helps me kind of crowd out some of the other stuff that's going on. It's my playlist for studying. And, and you've got playlists for certain occasions. You've got house cleaning playlists. You've got barbecue playlists. You've you got your different kind of things. And and the book of Psalms in the Bible is God's playlist given to us for the different seasons and rhythms of life. I can't listen to my running playlist when I'm studying. I end, up, I end up bouncing my head, I start singing the songs, and I'm not studying that anymore. And there are certain playlists for different rhythms in life that say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm having a kind of day where I need to focus on, on, on a certain thing. And, and the book of Psalms helps us with that. The book of Psalms is the largest book of the Bible. It's 150 chapters. And typically, if you open your Bible right down the middle, you'll find yourself in the book of Psalms. The longest chapter in the Bible is in the book of Psalms, Psalm 119. And in the Psalms are different kinds of rhythms, different playlists. There's, there's Psalms of declarative praise where, where the psalmist is writing their song and it's, it's praising God for his character, for the things he's done. And sometimes they're what called enthronement psalms, where there are songs about God sitting on his throne, who, and he's majestic and powerful over all of the earth. There are wisdom psalms that give us direction in life. And today I'm going to talk about another particular kind of psalm called a lament psalm. Can you say lament? Lament. Lament psalms are interesting because... Of the 150 psalms in the scriptures, 67 of them are laments. A lament is when someone pours out their heart in sorrow to God. It's a complaint. It's expressing the anguish in your heart to God. And maybe you're surprised to find that 45% of the psalms are laments, are complaints to God. Now, when I read the lament psalm, sometimes I feel a little uncomfortable, to be honest. Because the psalmist is saying stuff, I'm like, man, can you say that? It's com- he's complaining to God. Say, God, what about this, God? 
Where are you at when this, God? And if you're like me, there's times my heart feels that same way. I titled this sermon, Has God Forgotten Me? Because that's a question you and I probably have all asked at least once in our life. Some of you once a day. God, have you, have you forgotten about me? And I hope that you would find some encouragement in the tension of the lament psalms. Because in the lament, God essentially says, hey, it's okay to bring your complaint to me. But do it in the right way. Do it in a way that's redemptive. In a way that's going to give you life and not tear you apart. The lament psalms have a way of bringing us into someone's circumstance where you feel like, yeah, that's how I feel right now, God. But as we keep reading, we realize, man, but there's more to life here. And so today I'm going to unpack a lament psalm. And I I trust as we read even those opening two verses, you and I are going to be like, been there before. Maybe I'm there right now. You know, when I was in Liberia a few weeks ago, and I told you guys about this last Sunday, but... Um, I met a man there, a neat man, godly man, loves the Lord, part of Pastor Wilson's church. This man has a radio program in Liberia. He hosts the program, and it's, it's a political radio program. And as I mentioned before, they, they uh, went through a civil war, and there was an overthrow of the government. And, and finally, after all, like some 12, 15 years of civil war, they have a president in place who has served her full terms. And now, for the first time since the civil war, they're going to hold elections again in October. And you might imagine, everybody's kind of like bracing themselves, like, what's this going to be like? They have dozens of candidates running, and there's a bit of uncertainty. And as I was talking through this man and their circumstance, he was expressing a lament about the circumstances that have happened in Liberia. He, he was agonizing over the situations. But not only we had this corporate agony over the country, but there's also some personal agonies as he began to share with us the story of how his one-year-old son died in 2014. And he was just saying, he's like, man, just grieving the circumstances. It was sudden. It was unexpected. And he said it was the fact that his relationship with God and the people in his church that helped him and his wife get through that initial time and still get through those moments because it doesn't go away, of course. And as I heard him talking, I heard him lamenting the nation's circumstances and lamenting his own personal circumstances. What I want us to do today is learn to lament Learn to bring our sorrows to God. You might feel sorrow for our country. I do. Every time I open up the news, I feel sorrow. I feel sorrow about the world affairs that are going on. Nuclear talks. Our president tweeting. We, we, I feel grief over a lot of different things. and There's a lot that goes on that's good, and there's a lot that goes on even more so that's bad. And I feel I'm bothered by that. When I hear about our city of Chicago and the crime rates, the murder rates that that happen here, I want to learn how to lament. I want to learn how to do that. Even in my own personal life, things that grieve me, my own personal walk, my own personal struggles, I think we need to learn how to lament, how to bring our complaints, our struggles, our anguish to God. And what I want us to do is ask the question, how can I possess faith in the midst of my complaint. That's the tension there. 
How, how do I complain in a way that shows that, God, I'm confident in you, but man, I'm struggling. Psalm 13 helps us learn how to do that, family. And would you please open your Bibles with me as we get to Psalm 13. And if you don't own a Bible or if you haven't got yours with you today, there's one in the pew in front of you. It's a blue Bible. And we're going to be in Psalm 13. That's page 453 in those Bibles. If you do own a Bible, I do encourage you to bring one with you every Sunday and keep a pen in your hand. And when something is said from this stage and this pulpit, you make notes in your Bible, you'd underline scriptures, that you'd circle words, that you put notes in the margin. And so let's make it a habit of being attentive and aggressive and, and proactive listeners of God's word. But if you can, if you're able to, would you stand with me as we read Psalm 13 here? It's a Psalm of David, King David, the King of Israel, the second King of Israel. And this is what Psalm 13 says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Ever felt that? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me. O Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is God's word for us. You may be seated. From the very first word in this psalm, we see that the psalmist feels abandoned by God. Four times he says the words, how long? You notice that when I was reading it? How long, O Lord? The word long means it's not short. <laughs> now, I was a runner in high school, and our coach would oftentimes make us run and run for a long time. And for anybody who's a runner, they never do one lap around the track and tell coach, coach, how much more, how much longer? Because you know that kind of comes with the territory. But after you're like 8, 9, 10, 12 laps around, then you start saying, hey, coach, how, how long? This has been, I'm tired now. You're not giving me rest here, coach. How, how much longer? This is what the psalmist is saying. God, God, how much more? It's been a long time. It hasn't been five minutes, five weeks, or five months, maybe. Maybe it's been like five years. How, how long, God? The psalmist doesn't tell us what's going on, but he tells us his questions. How long? But just as quickly as he states his complaint, he follows how long with two other words. What are the next two words after how long? Oh, Lord. It's interesting because in these first two verses, you feel like we're reading the words of somebody who's just really shaky in their faith. But at the same time, there is, there's this kind of idea that what, but this person's coming to God. 
which is the right place to go. See, King David is not here venting to the wind to get it off his chest. He's not taken to Twitter or Facebook to vent his frustration so the world can see it to feel better about himself. No, he's not doing that. He's not blowing off steam or shouting to the wind. He's talking to God. Maybe today you've got a complaint. You've got some struggle for you. And I just plead with you, bring it to God. Yeah, yeah, there's people around you that God will bring to you. But oftentimes our complaint turns into gossip. Oftentimes our complaint turns into something that's not life-giving. And God says, bring it to me. And let's make your complaint redemptive. And here the psalmist says, I'm complaining, God, I'm bringing it to you. It's a real struggle. Life is difficult. I'm having a hard time. And I got four ways that I'm feeling this way. And what does he say? The first one, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? His first complaint says, God, I feel like you've forgotten me. You've, you've forgotten about me. And I know there's been times in life that I've felt that way. In the times in life you've felt that way. Maybe you're in that moment in life when you've been praying, asking God for something, and he's not answering it. And what you're praying for isn't selfish. Maybe you're battling illness. Diagnosis like cancer or someone you love has been diagnosed. You say, Lord, have you forgotten? It's the desire for a child. You can't get pregnant. Maybe it's at work, you feel like you're getting passed up and you're the one who's working the hardest. This doesn't feel fair. You feel forgotten. Maybe everyone else around you is getting married and you're not and you're just frustrated saying, God, how long? Is this for me? You're just battling maybe with joy and you just have no joy. Saying, God, how long will I be just miserable? This is real for church. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? This is the real feeling of someone. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, David, like, do, do you really think God forgot about you? If I'm not mistaken, you're the same person who wrote, God, you know my coming out and my going in. That you formed me in my mother's womb before I was even alive. Like, God, did you really forget me? You're omniscient. You're all-knowing. Did this God forget David? And what David is showing us here is sometimes what we feel doesn't add up with what we know to be true. And God says, bring to me what you feel, though. Bring to me what you feel. And right now David's like, I feel like you forgot me, God. You and I, we forget things. You get an email, you get a text message, and you know, if you don't reply right away, it goes off into like cyberland, right? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you're like, oh man, this person texted me three days ago. It happens. God doesn't do that with us, church. God's not like, oh, you prayed? Man, I'm thank, thank you for praying. I forgot about you. But that's how David feels in this moment, He says, I feel forgotten. But second off, if feeling forgotten wasn't bad enough, he goes on to say, God, it feels like you actually do hear me, but you're indifferent toward my prayers. Look what he says there. How long will you hide your face from me? So it's not that you forgot, but you're actually, you know I'm there, but I feel like you're hiding from me. You ever feel that way? It's like, God, I know you know I'm here, but you're not doing anything. Are you indifferent to my struggle? You know, I mentioned this last Sunday, but number 6, 24 to 26, says the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
See, God's face directed towards somebody is symbolic of his blessing directed toward them. And what King David is saying here is like, God, I feel like your blessing is not on my life. You're not looking at me. You know I'm there, but you just ain't responding. If that wasn't tough enough, he goes on to say in verse 2, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? God, I'm feeling pretty alone in my struggle. It's in my soul. It's within. And maybe the people around me don't even know about it. I can make a smile, put a smile on my face, I can give a high five, sing a song, and even lift up a hand, but inside is World War III going on. God, I'm in anguish. David says that he's feeling anxiety is adding up. Hurt is highlighted. Fear is festering. It's all building up there. And then he gives his fourth complaint. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, who's his enemy here? It doesn't tell us. And I think that's just the point. Because if David was more specific here, maybe you and I might not feel like we could relate to his circumstance. But the vagueness allows all of us to say, hey, I've been there or I'm there right now. His enemy might have been a physical person. I mean, King David experienced it. His own son betrayed him. His best friend went to the other army. Or maybe he was sick. Maybe he was ill. In fact, many people think that based on the next verse. They think maybe, maybe David was ill and he feels like God has forgotten about his prayers. Maybe death is near. Maybe it's emotional enemy. Maybe it's satanic attack he feels. Or maybe it's his own sin that he can't get over. What's your enemy? What is it that you feel like is pulling you away from God? And David says, I feel like the enemy is winning. And that I am losing. See, these two short verses, we see a complaint from David. But we also see where he directs his complaint. He brings it to God. He says, God, I... I'm bringing it to you. And even by saying it, he knows God is there. And I plead with you to do that when you're struggling. Bring your complaint to God. And he goes on then, he gives a prayer request, he gives a petition. He says, all right, this is my scenario, this is what's going on, and God, this is what I would love. I'd love for verse 3, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He says first in verse uh, 3 there, consider and answer me. Like, are you hear me, but would you reply, please? W- would you answer to the call I have in my heart here? And then he says, light up my eyes. It's like he's saying, adversity is so bad, I'm feeling like my eyes are starting to go dim. I know there's been times where each of us have bawled our eyes out and we can have a hard time seeing through it. You got to wonder if here the psalmist is just saying, it's so bleak, darkness is creeping in. I can't keep my eyes open anymore. I love how the New Living Translation says, it says, it says God, restore the sparkle in my eyes. The psalmist is lacking that. And he feels like everything is overcoming him. Death is near, defeat is near, and mockery of God is near. But again, just as we saw in verse 1, look where he directs his request. 
He says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. He said, God, you're still personal to me, though. And as I read that, I'm wondering, how can David do that? When you feel abandoned, you feel God's indifferent, you feel like the enemy is winning, and how does he say, oh Lord, my God, like, God, you're, you're my personal God still. I still love you, I still direct it toward you, God, but I'm struggling. I'm asking, how can he have that kind of faith in the midst of his circumstance? That's a question I hope you're asking. How do you maintain a prayer to God when it's that God that you feel like has turned from you? David comes to God. He says, answer me, O Lord, my God. But then in verses 5 and 6, we understand how he's able to get through this feeling of abandonment. How he's able to get through the angst in his life the unmet expectation, the disappointment. Because throughout this psalm, we have no indication that he's in this situation because he sinned. Never does he say, God, I confessed my sin to you and you heard me, as he does in other psalms. David's experiencing angst in his life and adversity because that's just part of life, it seems like. And rather than becoming apathetic toward God he comes to God with his prayer and in verse 5 he clings to what is constant hear that he clings to what is constant and he's cautious of what is fading what is constant is the character of God and what is fading and unpredictable are your and my emotions sometimes what we feel we know does not add up with what's true And we need to hold on to what is constant. Look at verse 5. He says, but, that's a word that signifies a contrast. It's a change of direction. All these things are happening, but I have trusted in what? Your steadfast love. In all the mess, God, I know one thing to be true. And even though I may not feel it, I know it to be true. And it is your steadfast love. The Hebrew word, and I love saying it, I've told you guys before, is chesed. You know, I get that guttural sound. It's chesed. It's God's covenant love. It's his steadfast love. It's his unconditional love that David says, no matter what I go through, God, I know in my mind that your love is true, and because of that, I'm holding on to it. I'm holding on tightly to your steadfast love. And he says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. It hasn't happened yet. God, you haven't brought me out of my predicament yet. But God, I'm going to praise you even in the midst of this. Because I believe that you will come through. And of course, we know there are times in life that things just don't happen the way we expect. Sometimes our sickness leads to death. Sometimes our unmet desires remain unmet. But we must understand one thing that Salvation in the Old Testament always points to salvation in the New. And that is God's love for us through Jesus on that cross. And yes, in this life, we're going to face all kinds of trials. Jesus said it. Jesus experienced it. But he can and will meet your deepest longing. He can satisfy your greatest desires in ways that only God can do it. And just like David, we got to say, God, I'm going to trust that that is true, even when I don't feel it. I have trusted in your steadfast love. 
My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And then he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I'm just so encouraged when I read this psalm because God has given us emotions, first of all. I need to say this. And though our emotions oftentimes are very untrustworthy, our emotions are also a good thing. Because sorrow is an emotion just as joy is an emotion. And so God has given us joy. But, but oftentimes our emotions can be so finicky. And, and one day we feel great, and other days we feel horrible. One day we love the Lord, another day we feel like, where has he been? And the psalmist comes to us and says, you know what, let's cling to what is constant. And that's the character of God. And because of that, he's able in verse 6 to sing to God. And I wonder if there are times he sings to God with tears of joy and tears of sorrow. But nonetheless, he's singing to God because of his steadfast, steadfast love. He says that God has dealt bountifully with him. That's why he's praising God. He's dealt bountifully with him. He's given abundant love and goodness. And I think, and I suspect, because I know this to be true in my own life, and I suspect it's true for you, that there's times in your lament that you don't come to God because you don't believe God has dealt bountifully with you. In your heart of hearts, you don't believe God has been good to you. And therefore, you don't want to bring your complaint to him. And here he says, but God has dealt bountifully with us. And what I do, and I hope you do in those times where you're questioning God's goodness, is that you step back and reflect. There's something called common grace. It's a grace that all people on this planet experience that comes from God. It's like the sunshine in the morning. It's that cool breeze on a hot day. That's common grace. It's the air in your lungs. And you don't need to be a follower of Jesus to experience God's grace in that way. But then there's also something called special grace. And that's the kind of grace where the God of this universe smiles upon you and saves you. It's the kind of grace that leads you to be convicted of your sin and you confess your sin to God and God says you're forgiven. That's grace. If that's where you're at today, if you've put your faith in Jesus and you are forgiven, then you have been one that God has dealt bountifully with because you didn't deserve it. On top of that, God has given you a new life. And yet the chaos may be going on externally, but internally he's given you a new life. And though your outer body, as Paul says, is wasting away, the new you is being renewed. That's God's grace. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit to guide us through this life. God has dealt bountifully with his children. And we can't overlook that. What David does in the midst of life's problems, in the, in the midst of him feeling forgotten by God, he clings to what is constant, and that's God's character. And I hope and pray that you and I would do the same thing. You know, there's an entire book of the Bible dedicated to a lament. Did you guys know that? It's called Lamentations. It's an entire book of the Bible where Jeremiah, who wrote it, is expressing his lament to God after the the Babylonians came and conquered the southern kingdom of Judah. They overtook the city of Jerusalem, and there uh, we have a picture of of Jeremiah, like, like he's walking through the streets of Jerusalem saying, God, 
why, why all this? God, this is not cool. Why would you let this happen? And he's lamenting before God, but he knows it's because God's people rebelled from him. I want you to meet me in the book of Lamentations real quick, because I want you to see it with your own eyes, what I'm about to read. It's a few pages over from where you're at, and in your pew Bible, it's page 688. You find Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then it's Lamentations, the book after Jeremiah. If you're in Ezekiel, you've gone too far. Lamentations chapter 3. And in Jeremiah's lament, he's expressing a national lament. He's, he's, he's saddened by what's happening in his country, but he's also experiencing some personal struggle. And in Lamentations chapter 3, he brings this to God. I'm going to start reading portions of the, of the chapter. In verse 1, page 688, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 1, he says this. This is Jeremiah writing. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. So he feels like he's experienced the heartache that the people have experienced, and he's saddened by it. If you jump down to verse 16, he says, He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. You hear his lament? He said, God, I forgot what it means to be happy. This is Jeremiah speaking. Verse 18, he says, So I say my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. No happiness, no endurance, and no hope. Verse 19, he says, remember my affliction. He's talking to someone here. Where's his lament directed? To God. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the galls, the bitterness. He says, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. And then the contrast, verse 21, but... This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Here's a man who says, I forgot what it means to be happy. He says, but this is what I do in that moment, and because of that, I have hope. And what does he do? Well, what is it? In verse 22, he says this, the steadfast love, the what? The chesed love, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never cease come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness and then he says the Lord is my portion says my soul therefore I will hope in hood the Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him you see what he did there man he's saying God I'm in anguish my life stinks but in the midst of my sorrow God I'm coming to you with my complaint, to you with my petition, and it's in you that I find my hope. It's God's steadfast love. So I hope and pray that you would hold on to God's bountiful love toward you if you are a child of God today. Look in your own life, but I'd also say look into the lives of others and see what God has done in the saints of the past. And two Sundays from now, we're starting a new series on revival. And I'm going to take several weeks to talk about different revivals that have happened uh, in modern years and talk about what God has done and the people he's raised up, but oftentimes through heartache and through pain and struggle. 
But when we read of the stories of men and women of the past who've gone through problems, who've lamented to God, and God has brought them through it, we see something, as one guy says, one, John Piper says, that behind the frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. Behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. When you feel like there's only a dark cloud over your head, trust and know that beyond that cloud is a God who loves you and who smiles upon you and has not actually forgotten you. One such person in history was a woman named Corey Ten Boom. You may have heard of her or know her story. She was a Dutch watchmaker during the time of World War II. And her family saw what was happening to the Jews and, of course, was bothered by it. And they began to hide Jews in her home. And eventually, they were found out and sent to a concentration camp. And while she was there in the barracks, her barracks was filled with fleas. And it's like if things weren't bad enough, now there's fleas on her bed. She says she could hear the screaming of people in the barracks next door who were being tortured. And she just wished she could just silence the sound, but she couldn't. And in that place, she had a friend named Betsy who challenged her to be thankful to the Lord even in that circumstance. And Corey and Betsy learned to tell God, thank you for the fleas. The reason being is later they found out that the soldiers didn't come into their barracks because they were afraid of getting fleas. And because of that, the women were able to hold Bible studies there in a Nazi concentration camp. She suffered much. But she says this. She says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. She says, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. When life is getting dark over you, don't jump off. But trust the engineer behind the dark cloud because he smiles upon you. She says, let God's promises shine on your problems. What are your fleas today? What what are the, 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 the anxieties of your heart, the adversity you're facing, and you're saying, God, I hate this. And God's saying, trust me. Where is the smiling face beyond the cloud? What is God trying to show you in your real problem? This is not to downplay your circumstance, your hurts, your fears, your unmet dreams. They're real, just as David's were real this day when he wrote that psalm. But just as real as his circumstances were is God's steadfast love. And how will you hold on to that today? I asked the question when I began this message saying, how can you possess faith through life's adversities? And the answer from this psalm is, you cling to what is constant, and that's the character of God. He will not fail you. And he loves you who are his children. And if you're not a child of God today, my prayer is that you would turn away from your sins. You've all, we've all got and we've all done this who put our faith in Jesus. And you turn away from your sin. That's called repentance. And you put your faith in Jesus. Say, God, forgive me. And at that point of faith, God gives you a new life. And his smile is upon you from that point on to the day you die. Well, there's a classic hymn 
that was written about Lamentations 3. And sometimes I suspect there are some who sing this hymn, as I mentioned earlier, with tears of sorrow in their eyes, saying, God, I know this is true, but I'm struggling. And other times we sing this song with tears of joy. But whatever the case is, the words are true. And it says, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. When we cling to the character of God, we can say those words, even when life is difficult. My prayer is that we would learn to bring our complaint to God, family, and find hope in him. Let's pray together. God, I know that my brothers and sisters here have, have, they've got some stuff in their lives, God. Some of them I know about, and I'm sure there are many other things I don't know about, God. We've all tasted the bitterness of life. Sometimes it's a result of our own sin choices we've made. Sometimes it's a result of the choices of others. Sometimes it's the product, God, of a broken world, a broken city, a broken government, a broken justice system. God, we've all tasted heartache. I pray for my brother or my sister who right now is chomping on bitterness. And Lord, they say, that's me today in verses one and two. They're asking how long, oh Lord. God, I pray, Lord, I pray for relief over their lives. The kind of relief that comes from knowing who you are, God. Though their circumstances may not change, God, that they can say, God, you have provided relief in my circumstances, God. The storm is still raging, but you are captain of my ship, O Lord. Therefore, I will hope in you. So, Lord, I pray, even in brokenness, that they can say, great is your faithfulness, O God. Father, teach us how to have sorrow for our nation, for our city, for our lives, for other people. Teach us how to lament, God, but teach us how to do it in a way that is redemptive, that puts our focus on you, and that we're able to walk away and say, God, you still are good. Only you can do that, God. I pray you'd help us today. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for your hesed, your steadfast love. For any who don't know you today, God, I pray that they'll put their faith in Jesus, Lord. That they would stop living a life of, of rebellion or running away from you. And they say, God, I want your face to shine upon me. I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to live for him. Let this today be a day of salvation as yesterday I prayed earlier, Lord. Oh God, we ask that you would do it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Church family, let's rise to our feet. And our prayer counselors, would you come forward and head to the back of this room?
Maybe you've got a lament you need to lift up today. And through this last song, would you lift up that lament to God and just cry out to God in your pew? Or maybe cry out to God with a brother or sister here who wants to pray with you. Maybe you're sorrowful for another, for our country, or for yourself. Lift up a shout of prayer and petition to our God. And let this song be the prayer of our heart as we continue our worship.